You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast, a podcast on developer relations, community management, and everything in the tech community spectrum. Welcome your hosts, Mary Thangball, Jason Hand, and PJ Haggerty. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Community Pulse. Uh, in this episode, uh, we're going to be talking about open source community management uh, and the role, how it's been around for decades and maybe arguably a foundation for developer relations. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jason Hand, and I'm going to hand it over to my guests who are actually together in the city of Pittsburgh. So uh, yeah, PJ, why don't you take it from there, actually? Hey, everybody. I'm PJ. I'm at Esplenic on Twitter, and I'm here in Pittsburgh with Mary Thangvall. Hey everyone, I'm at Mary underscore Grace on Twitter, uh, and we have a new sponsor this week too. Our podcast today is sponsored by Devada, empowering developers to learn, share, grow, and succeed via technology-specific web communities. Devada's Answer Hub software powers developer relations communities for some of the biggest technology and tech-enabled companies in the world, including Disney Pixar, Epic Games, and IBM. And if you're a developer, you've likely been to dzone.com for user-contributed technical learning resources. Head over to communitypulse.io slash devada, that's D-E-V-A-D-A, for more information. Uh, so like Jason mentioned, today we're talking about open source community management, and we have two awesome guests here today, Sherry Rohde and Rain Leander. Sherry, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I am Sherry Rohde. I am the Magento Community Manager at Adobe. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Sherry Rohde if you can figure out how to spell my name. Um, and I'm happy to be here and chat with you all. And Rain, how about you? And I also have to challenge the Twitter community to spell Rain Leander. I'm at Rain Leander. I'm a technical program manager at Red Hat. At specifically working with the uh, upstream project OpenStack and RDO and Triple O. Awesome. And we'll put both of their Twitter handles on uh, communitypulse.io so you don't have to challenge yourself and figure out how to spell their last names. This is a podcast, not a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we'd love to kick things off today. And the first question I wanted to ask was, do most people in tech seem to understand what you do or what your title means? Or is it something you constantly have to explain to people? And to be clear, this isn't the classic tech, like, let me explain to my grandma that I don't fix printers or, or move photos from her digital camera onto her computer. This is people who actually work in tech who still may or may not understand what you do. I, I, I get what is a community manager every time uh, because I tend to, like, fall back on that as a job title, even though it's not my job title. Um, my actual job title is technical program manager and the way we do it within Red Hat is we dedicate individuals towards projects. And so that could be developer relations. It could be community management. It could be like any number of things. I could facilitate a hardware donation. And that is, that is not really title specific. And but yes, uh, community manager versus DevRel versus all of the other titles, advocacy, evangelist, all of it. It's it's all like, I, I tend to get the follow-up question, so what do you do from day to day? What about you, Sherry? Yeah, so um, as Mary knows, I actually used to run um, a weekly hangout called CMGR Hangout, and it was for community managers. And um, just from the three, four, whatever years it was we did about there's the 
definition of community manager is so broad. It can mean so many different things. Um, so in the tech world, I actually just tell people I work in developer relations, even though I don't work exclusively with developers, just because it's a clearer relation to what I actually do and something that most people in the tech world understand. And you think part of that is because for a lot, especially when you're working in open source, the major consumers are are developers. Like, you know, when you when you work with an open source project, like uh, like I mean Magento is a great example. Like a lot of people who use Magento are gonna be developers bringing it into the project that they're doing, which is e-commerce or something along those lines, building shopping carts, whatever. It's not like end users who are non-technical, non-developers. Um Yes and no. <laughs> so that's the one thing why I could never actually um, change my title specifically to developer relations because part of my work really is around um, diversity and inclusion, not just in the ways we normally think of it, but making sure that our community members who are active contributors that are not developers feel welcome and included as well. Um, so that can range from marketing managers to e-commerce managers to um to actual developers, to project managers. Like there's just such a broad range that I hesitate to define what I do only by developers, even though I would say probably about 60% of it is developers. Yeah. It's funny. We were, <clears throat> we were kind of chatting about this a little before we started recording and how timely this is in terms of labels and community management. And actually just today, I don't know, I didn't think of this in our previous discussion, but today I got an email from, um, from sort of the higher ups within Microsoft that were sort of standardizing on terms, on titles across, even with just within the, the, our own developer advocacy team, like there's you know, over a hundred and something of us. And some of us came in with different titles, but yet we all do different things. Like we, we don't all standardize on things. But we had to come up with standardized titles, mostly so that people internally to Microsoft know who we are, who to go to for certain things. Like it just sort of helped sort of structure things inside. It seems like uh, some of our beef lately has been really with putting labels on things for the external consumers of trying to understand what it is we do. And I wonder... Like I had never really thought of that way. And at the end of the day, like when I got that email, I was like, whatever, if my title changes, so what? I, you know, it's not like I have business cards and it's not like my job's going to change. I'm still going to do the same thing. This just now makes it somehow easier for somebody to know, do you reach out for Jason in this situation or do you reach out to you know somebody else in a different situation? So um, it's just really weird how like these labels, the semantic argument of, of community management has still like been such a strong... This is a thing that won't go away. I don't, I don't know. I'm start, starting to rant here, but it's just, <laughs> it's, it's feeling, feels like we need to level set on community manager, community management just a little bit because it has been put into a corner lately, it feels like. And so, but so has a lot of other things. And I think, Sherry, what you're trying to say really is it comes down to, it depends on how you implement it, depending on the value that these people, not a team of whatever, but these people bring to the business. Everybody brings their own thing that they do well and and it all kind of ends up being thrown under this sometimes large umbrella that gets convoluted it feels like yeah it was um i'm noticing how you're saying about standardizing within the company i'm noticing that now that we've been a part of adobe for the last year um, and sometimes they'll come to me assuming that I'm doing what other people with the job title community manager do within Adobe. And that's not the case. Um, a lot of them are tasked only with 
um, forums, for example, or even just responding on forums, not even strategy around them. So it is, it is very different. And it is, um, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever collectively as a world agree on the definition of community management. People have been trying to do that for as long as I've known about it. And, um, when you talk to even people outside of that world about community management, then they think you're managing properties. Yeah. Um, I get emails asking me if they can stock the vending machine at the office. <laughs> that's not my job. I don't care. <laughs> that's actually, that's my favorite email from recruiters when they're like, oh, there's a new apartment building opening up for seniors. Do you think you'd be interested? And it's like, I'm going to go with no. Nope. Yeah. Not, exactly. Can I read the rest of the resume? <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that actually, not the vending machine piece of it, but the the whole internal versus external side of it actually leads to another question that I had around with open source, particularly like you're dealing with both internal employees who are community members, as well as external community members who happen to be contributors. Mm -hmm. And how do you kind of balance those two groups? Because there's got to be that kind of shift between like, well, you're my coworker but I have to use the same standards with you as I do with someone who isn't employed by the company. And where is that? Yeah. How do you balance that? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, the particular project that I work on, um, 90% of the project is Red Hat. It's it, Maybe it's higher now that we're part of IBM even. It's, it's really huge. And, and, and therefore the employees that are contributing upstream are also contributing downstream to the product. And because of that, one of the things we do in the community space, in the in the outreach space, is we specifically support and more aggressively um, help the non-Red Hat employees because they don't have the same resources. And and um, and and also going back to the previous question about like developers. Um, I'm simultaneously thinking about developers, uh, contributor as contributors, operators of the infrastructure, and customers. And and you all have, and the, they're all valuable for different reasons. And it's it can't be just about my relationship with the developers, even though it does seem like a lot of it is focused on developers. The operators. Are, are incredibly vital to feedback and whatnot. Um, but as far as balance is concerned, um, my role is within the office of the CTO and it's specifically separated from our product and specifically put upstream to focus on the upstream project versus a downstream product. And, um, and therefore, that makes it easier in the sense that I know what my priority is. Cool. And really quick for people who aren't involved in open source, upstream versus downstream. Oh, yes. So, uh, right. Upstream. Sorry to pick on the spot. <laughs> Summary. Um, upstream versus downstream uh, refers to the development cycle of a project. Uh, Upstream is going to be open source, it's online, it's got a specific license to where um, the bits can be used by anyone, contributed to by anyone, reviewed by anyone, um, and uh, available for anyone to to use or to rebrand or 
to package in their own way. And then downstream tends to refer to a product that a company has hardened, rebranded, um, still made those bits available upstream within the terms of the license. Um, and yeah, so upstream versus downstream is a development cycle reference. Cool. And Sherry, what about you? That balance between internal employees versus external community members, do you run into that tension at all? Um, I really don't. My boss and I make up together um, party of two, the community outreach team. And so really all of our goals and um, key priorities are tasked around outreach. And if I'm doing outreach internally, maybe that's in reach, I don't know. Anyway, um, it's really more so around looking for people who are willing to go speak at meetups or conferences um, or can answer different questions that the community might have. Maybe I'm looking for a speaker for a call with our top contributors, something of that nature. Um, but as a general rule, well, when we were Magento, our, our overall focus was on the community as a whole. And, and one of our key things was be the community. And so our, um, a lot of our employees wanted to get involved with the community um, automatically because of that. So I know that within Adobe, the broader Adobe picture, it's a little bit different just because they are trying to activate employees in open source. Um, and really clear any of the obstacles in that way. So that's that's a little different. But for me personally, if I am doing any outreach internally, it's really more so to connect them with the community for various projects or initiatives. Yeah. And that's from my experience when I was at Chef, which is an open, open source project as well. That was a lot of what I was doing was cool, we're a distributed company. How do I enable our internal employees to be out in the community more? How do I set them up to speak at events? How do we make sure that they're involved in meetups? How do we recommend them to go speak at events or write blog posts or do things so that they're more involved in the community? Um, which I actually love doing because it made my job more scalable because <laughs> it wasn't all on me to provide those resources or for me to be flying to all those places. And so being able to give the internal company the, the resources that they needed to get out there and do community management of a version of their own um, in their local communities was an awesome opportunity. I think it's I think it's interesting too because in open source you kind of have the special the specialized connotation of free the whole concept of free and open source and yet you you both kind of work at companies that also have products built with open source but that are not for free because obviously and I've explained this to a few of my clients before open source is wonderful so is dinner. Um, you know, you kind of have to eat, but like, you know, what, what kind of techniques do you have with working, working with, with community members or, or new community members who come along and say, well, this isn't free. Why isn't this free? Or, you know, trying to just in general saying, you know, yes, we sell things, but we are still part of the free and open source software community. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm kind of at an advantage or maybe disadvantage in that if, if someone comes to me as a Red Hat employee, they think, they, they typically already have uh, a, a notion that is very close to what the actual open source definition is. And, um, and just, to, just to let's like take a stab at that. Um, I, I forget who said this first and who I heard it from, but 
Um, there is the analogy of like free beer and free hugs and free love and whatnot, but and that never really resonated with me. Um, somebody once said it's like free puppies. Like, yes, technically that puppy is free. It's in the box, have a puppy. But then you are dedicating for the life of that puppy to care for that puppy, to get food for that puppy, to walk that puppy and get it to poop outside your house and, and all kinds of things that, that actually take time. And, and I, feel like, I feel like open source versus product is do you have time or do you have money? is what it really comes down to. A lot of a lot of times somebody will come to us and they'll be like, or to me, and they'll say, hey, I was looking at using OpenStack, like the upstream OpenStack. And I'll be like, okay, do you have someone you can hire who is going to figure this out, who is going to actually get onto IRC and get on the forums and da 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 And like, it takes time. And, and, and frankly, sometimes money is the answer <laughs> there. Um, don't get me wrong. I love people like CERN who have the money that they would like to put towards upstream development work. And therefore, that's where they, that's where they play. And that's beautiful. But that's not most of us. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for us, we have the open source version and then the open core version, right? So it doesn't really matter. We have an entire sales team dedicated to finding people who want to pay for the paid version. <laughs> um, so that's not something I need to worry about, really. Um, obviously, if we have a new product offering, um, we're talking about that when we're out talking with the community, but it's not actually our job to sell. Um, and we don't really try to tie back what we do to any deals um, specifically unless there's a referral that we actually directly made. Um, so there's, um, it's, it's important for us to know the product offerings when we're talking with the community, but it's not something where we're mandated to contribute to those sales directly. Does it ever feel like there's some unspoken expectations that come along with the title community manager? from certain aspects. I was first thinking I might ask y'all if you, if we could all pick our own title and PJ wouldn't be allowed to be part of this exercise, but if we could all pick our own title, what would it be? And cause I'm thinking through like some of the things that I'm responsible for. And, um, I, I do lump myself into a community manager, but yet like I'm very focused on putting together content that I will be presenting on tour for six months out of the next 12. And that's a lot, that's like quite a bit different than every one of you. Um, but yet I still, I still feel like I'm part of the team, you know, I'm like part of the community manager team and I'm just trying to advocate for everybody to be awesome. But I would probably pick a different title. I don't know what it is exactly. Um, but I would probably pick a different title. And I think it would be something that, talks about how difficult the role is like, or, or the more difficult part of it. Because to me, that's the part I probably spend the most energy on. That's probably the part I'm most proud of. So maybe we can like go around the horn here and everybody can pick up new titles if they want. But we'll start with Sherry and you can maybe share with us what you think is the hardest part of, of your role. And can we find you a new title? 
<laughs> you know, I have put so much thought and energy into this at the weirdest, probably not what I should be doing with my brain moments in time. Um, and I can't really come up with a great solution, which is maybe why we're in the mess that we're in. Um, I've seen people before be like community programs manager, um, which is very relevant to what I do. Um, the key things that, that I do, I don't know what the hardest part of what I do is maybe spending so much time in airports and, uh, hotel rooms, but I don't really, I don't really know how you'd make a job title around that. Um, but the key things that I focus on are our forums, our top contributor program, our meetups and um, diversity and inclusion initiatives. So those are kind of my four main areas. Um, and I don't know how you would lump them together in their current state other than doing something along the lines of community programs manager, which is even more confusing to the outside world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're literally in the middle of, of discussing this internally. Um, so I don't know what I'm allowed to say, <laughs> um, but I'm just going to say things anyway and get in trouble later. Um, so one of the things I specifically did as soon as I took over was I adopted the title that the previous person who did my role had, which is community liaison, because he really hated the idea of managing uh, people or the project or, or anything. It was more like um, just doing the best you can as things were moving around. It's, it's, more like, it's more like just making sure you have a hold of a rain as opposed to two rains. And uh, like, like horse rains, horse rains, not, not, not rain. Right. Yeah, okay. um, then, it is, then it is actually hurting cats or putting ducks in a row or whatnot. And, and I was like, you know what? Community liaison really resonates for me. But recently we've, we've been um, internally talking about switching to community architects. Um, right. I like that. Right. So it, it like covers that you are, um, effectively helping with the infrastructure and also interested with the glazing and like all the, all the terms that architecture, uh, implies really resonates with a community role. Mm -hmm. And yet you are not in charge of what people do within the projects. You Provide a space, yes, yeah, and and that really resonates. So we're just trying it out um, with with actually a few new job postings, literally within the past few weeks, um, and it, it really resonates that community architect. But if I had to like choose a title based on the worst aspect of the job, it would be like community chicken with his head cut off. <laughs> it just feels like constant like. Okay, put out this fire. Okay, that. Okay, that. Mm -hmm. You just all yeah. over the place. Firefighter and cat herder and yeah. mm -hmm. all of the above. Yes. Yeah. Unless yeah. you're trying to get something done, in which case you're the dog sitting there. Everything's fine. It's fine. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I just no, I'm another fire anyway, so just uh -huh. <laughs> Exactly. I've played around a lot with the, the community architect, community builder side of things before. Because same thing for me. Like, managing community is just like, I feel like I'm putting too high of expectations on myself 
And I also feel like I'm putting a lot of pressure on the community. Like mm-hmm. I am not responsible. Like I am responsible for what you do, but I also recognize that you're your own people and that I might not be able to always manage what you're doing and handle to that, to that extent. Um, but I really like the, the builder or architect. like we're, we're putting together a framework for you to exist within. Mm-hmm. We're putting up boundaries to make sure that people understand the expectations as well as any issues that they might run into. And then we're letting you do what you do best. Okay, I, I am going to weigh in, contrary to Jason's protest. <laughs> just, just to say, just to say this, I, I feel like I've been doing this for a while, and I feel like my favorite title in all of this was community engineer, because the idea. And granted, this was I was working for a company that was very big on trains, um, but the idea was like, yeah, you're like you're partially steering the community, you're kind of driving the community, but you're also responding to the feedback from the community, which an engineer in in a train situation has to do. You know, if everyone on the train is saying we're getting robbed, you have to take some sort of action. Um, so, like, community conductor was a little bit awkward. Community engineer made a little more sense. And I think it, it kind of rides out both the best and worst parts of the job. Yeah. Like, yes, you are driving the community forward. Unfortunately, you are also covered in coal dust and pretty much just choking on fumes all day long in front of a hot oven. I, so, I feel like... I feel like more more than what Mary said, but both of you are making the case for <clears throat> community managers to be really the the cool aunt who lets you drink underage, but as long as you didn't, oh. drive, home, as long as you didn't <laughs> drive home, she was cool with it. <laughs> yeah, uh, my community will joke around. They'll be like, Sherry, manage us. Come manage us. I'm like, no, you're impossible to manage. It's fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, we actually are what would normally be called more of a developer relations team is called a community engineering team um, because they do all have software engineer backgrounds and they are so focused on the code. So more code, less trains, but engineer. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of developer relations, I'd love to just get kind of what's your top level opinion. How is community management for an open source community different than developer relations for API companies or uh, proprietary software or SDKs or things like that. Or the government. <laughs> well, there are, there are DevRel, they have their own DevRel people now. Fascinating. Yeah. That'll be another topic for another episode. <laughs> well, the government did help and still does help with the projects that I'm in. Yeah. So. <laughs> and there is a products that are born out of the project that I'm in. And I, I think it comes down to your focus and your priorities, really. Um, the particular project that I'm in right now is focused on the upstream uh, action, but I could very easily switch to a project where they're more interested in uh, the users or a very specific niche of, or the developers that are focused on an API or whatnot. Um, it just depends on the project's priority and needs. Um, yeah, I think it, it depends. It's, it all comes kind of back to the title, right? Like, it's just such a spectrum. Um, like I said, there's a lot of what I do that is developer relations, but I'm just hesitant to call it that because I work with not just developers. Um, so it's, I think also, though, you can, I don't, 
I don't know. I, I know it's been said that you can do developer relations without building community, but I think kind of by nature of the relations part, you're building relationships. So I don't really know that that's accurate per se. Um, I, I will say that our community engineering team that I mentioned previously is entirely focused on everything with our community that happens around GitHub. Um, so they are very, they're lucky for them <laughs> with a bigger team able to focus on one quote unquote small part of our community, although it's definitely not small. Um, whereas I have to have more of a, a broader vision of everything else that's going on in our community. So um, I, those are kind of key differences. Now I do have a development background, um, which I am very vocal about because it, it will add credibility within the developers in our community for them to know that those who weren't a long, long, long enough to remember that I started out as a developer and um, that's helpful. That being said, I'm not at all up to date with our latest code. So I wouldn't really be able to do some of the functions of what is broader thought of as developer relations um, without actually having time to dedicate to get familiar with it. Um, I have no doubts I could learn it. It's just not a key priority for me right now. Yeah. Cool. So I think we are, are ready to head to the checkout section of this episode. Um, for those of you who don't know, we always have some, some interesting tidbits and things like that to kind of check out, whether that's technical, part of the discussion we've been having or not, doesn't really matter. It's just kind of a way to share the things we've been doing. So I will start. Um, I've been reading a book. It's really awesome. And I actually pulled it up on my phone to remember I get the whole title right. It's kind of a long one, so bear with me. Um, it's called Weapons of Mass, Mass Destruction. Um, how Big Data Increased Individuality and Threatens Democracy. It's by a lady named Kathy O'Neill. Very interesting. Kind of, I mean, we talk about a lot on this podcast about metrics and the things that people do. And it kind of has that idea of how big data has created impressions or influences that aren't necessarily what the greater parts of humanity were looking for. But we're told that's what we're supposed to be looking for. So it's a really cool book, uh, Weapons of Math Destruction by Kathy O'Neill. Um, also, I would be remiss as this podcast is going to be our September podcast if I didn't say that DevOps Days Buffalo is happening at the end of this month, 26th and 27th in Buffalo, New York. Uh, we'll put some links in the thing. There are still tickets available. Uh, we're going to have an awesome time at a haunted hotel talking about DevOps and development and super cool stuff. And Rain now wants to go to Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so, Rain, how about you go next to check out them? I have two. Is that okay? <laughs> That's Absolutely. <totally. laughs> so one is that I've been dealing with um, perimenopause lately, and and realizing my own ageism and thinking that menopause is only associated with quote unquote old people and and all this stuff, and also dealing with oh my joints hurt really really bad and hot flashes and all these things. So I feel like. I feel like I've just discovered a new part of myself and I'm trying to be the same person that I was before in the sense that, you know, that's okay, acceptance and breathing and all this stuff, but simultaneously forgiving myself for the ageism and also getting over that. <laughs> and so I, I, I kind of want to encourage there's this, there's this, beautiful inclusivity around mental health and and diversity and whatnot and and I think to to remember that there are physical 
things that happen as well as you age and whatnot. And that's where I am in a kind of place of recovery. And then the other thing, <laughs> the other thing is, is I've been watching Netflix Black Mirror. Oh wow! And and people have told me literally for years that I would love this show because it's tech. It's got the you know the twisted factor that I love and all kinds of things. And I just started watching it, and I it is so so disturbing. <laughs> on on just, I cannot I can't even binge it because then my brain is is just gone with one episode for the night. Um, so I, I highly recommend Black Mirror if you would like to lose sleep <laughs> and be paranoid about modern technology. Yes, yes. Very encouraging. Very encouraging checkouts. Uh, I'll jump in next with another TV recommendation. Um, so this is on... If I get this wrong, we can... We can edit, but I believe it's on HBO, um, which I very rarely watch shows on HBO. And I will caveat this with it's a very disturbing show with a lot of triggers for a lot of people, I'm sure. Um, But it's a show called Euphoria that is relatively new and has Zendaya as well as uh, Stormy, Stormy Reed, Stormy Reed. I think her name is Stormy Reed. Anyway, it's this look at like or a picture of a slice of modern day high school um, with kids who are dealing with drug and alcohol addictions as well as uh, gender fluidity as well as there's a trans character and just so many different really um, influential messages and really like hard-hitting messages. Uh, I did binge it, and I'm kind of glad that I did because it was simultaneously one of those, like, if I stop watching this, I don't know if we'll ever come back to it because it's hard-hitting. And it was also very much a, like, okay, there's seven episodes. It's done now. I'm going to bed. I'm not watching TV tomorrow. (laughs) Because it's just, it's really good, but it's really intense. Um, So I definitely recommend that. Um, And then I've been working my way through a couple different business books lately, but I'm not at a point where I feel like I can solidly recommend any of them because I haven't made my way through enough of them. <laughs> um, but a lot of a lot of community stuff, a lot of conversational things, a lot of just really solid books that have been recommended that I'm hoping to have some time to listen to in these next or or read or both in these next few weeks. So I'll keep you posted. Cool. Like that setting setting the goal for future checkouts. That's, exactly. That's good. Exactly. Sherry, do you have checkouts for us? Um, sure. Yeah. So my headspace has largely been in the mental health psychology space lately. Um, so if you're an Instagram fan, which I can waste way too much time on there, um, check out mellow.doodles on Instagram. Um, she is a really talented artist and also everything she posts are like mental health checklists and things like that. So, um, it's, it's really cool. I really like that account. I could probably give you five more, but we'll be here too long. Um, and then I'm reading a book right now called the art therapy source book. Um, and so if you ever wanted the excuse to do arts and crafts as if you were a kid, but pretend that they're actually for a reason, uh, you could totally check it out. So there are pretty much endless different art therapy projects, uh, in the book and it kind of walks you through how to do them and what to make of them. So I'm totally going to check that out. 
Yeah. Like by the time this posts. <laughs> <laughs> I would be like, here are pictures of five things. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. So, those are the two to keep it down to not a forever list. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, I've got a couple things here. The first one I want to mention, I can't remember if I already mentioned this one before. I'd be surprised if I didn't, but I don't know. Anyway, it's a good enough one to say twice. Uh, but I've been using this service called meetedgar.com, which is kind of a social media queuing scheduling tool. It's like 50 bucks a month for the full thing, which uh, felt a little high, but I, I, think, I think it's worth it. Um, anyway, I've been really liking that a lot. It's really helped me. Um, I've had a backlog of all kinds of stuff that I've been wanting to share out, and I just haven't been prior prioritizing making that um, a big part of my day. So now I've got a little service that does it for me. Um, goes back to that time versus money thing Rain was talking about. Eventually, you just go ahead and pay somebody else to do it. Uh, the other thing is something that... Um, uh, as most of you know that follow the show, I've uh, been working on content for the new Microsoft Ignite the Tour. And one of the things that just put together this week that I've never had a chance to do before is build my own Azure function. And uh, that plus with a little bit of Signal R came up with a way to do serverless status page updates as of yesterday, which was really cool in like 10 lines of code, 10 lines of node and uh, an Azure function. Anyway, kind of magical, like black magic stuff to me, but it worked and it's awesome. And I can't wait to show it to a bunch of people. So if you've never played with Azure functions and serverless stuff, that, it's like a super easy way to get started doing it. And then SignalR is this thing that lets you actually update uh, a web page without a user having to do anything at all. It'll just it'll bring in more, refresh the data for you. So pretty cool stuff. I'll drop in some links to point to resources on that. And that's all I got. Awesome. So I think this has been a pretty good episode. Sherry and Rain, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, for those of you listening, you know, we are community underscore pulse on Twitter. You can find us at communitypulse.io. And that's pretty much, I think, where we can leave it for this week. This has been another episode of the Community Pulse podcast. Find us on Twitter at community underscore pulse, online at communitypulse.io, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll see you next time.